Microsoft Story Classic, bringing to you recordings of old storybooks. Children's Merry Episode 25 The Landris and Annis returned to the Oaks on Monday of the next week, and on Tuesday all went to Ion, where the rest of the week was spent most delightfully. There was a large dinner party the first day, but after that they were the only guests, and their host and hostess quite laid themselves out for their entertainment. Rose and Mildred enjoyed many a nice, quiet chat with Mrs. Travilla in the mornings while the little girls were busy with their tasks. The afternoons, when the weather permitted, were spent in the open air walking, riding, or driving, and in the evenings all gathered around the fire, and lively conversation and enigmas, stories, games, and music made the time fly so fast that the little folks could scarce believe the clock was right when it told them their hour for going to bed had come. Annis would sometimes have lingered if Elsie might have done so too, but when Mr. Dinsmore would not allow, so with a pleasant good night to all, they went away together, for they shared the same room and enjoyed it greatly. On Saturday evening they returned to the Oaks, and on Monday the old round of duties and pleasures was taken up again. One stormy afternoon, as the little girls sat together in Elsie's dressing room, pleasantly buried in millinery and mantua-making for the family of Dawes, Anna said, I read Oliver Twist while we were at Holly Hall. Elsie looked up in surprise. Did you? Would your father and mother let you read such books? Well, returned Annis, blushing, I never heard them mention Oliver Twist at all and I peeped into it one day, and found it so interesting, I just couldn't help going on and reading the whole story. I thought, why shouldn't I read what Millie and Brother Charlie and Cousin Horace and Cousin Rose do? Papa says, returned Elsie slowly, that I might as well ask why the baby may not eat everything that we older ones do. I suppose he means that our minds haven't cut their teeth yet, said Anna, laughing, but don't you wish you were grown up enough to read in novels? I don't know. I'd like to read them dearly. Well, but I love to be Papa's little girl and sit on his knee. You'll do that when you're grown up, remarked Annis with a wise nod of her pretty head. I'll tell you the story of Oliver Twist if you want me to. The offer was a tempting one. Elsie did want so very much to know what became of Oliver, finally, and all about several of the other characters in whom she had become interested. For one minute she hesitated then said firmly, It wouldn't be right for me to hear it, Annis, dear, without Papa's leave, and that I shouldn't even dare to ask. But I thank you all the same. Elsie, you are so good and obedient that you often make me feel ashamed of myself, Annis said with a look of hearty, affectionate admiration into her cousin's face. The fair face crimsoned. No, no, Annis, I am not. Indeed I am not, she exclaimed in tremulous tones, the tears springing to her eyes. "'Oh, I know you're a hypocrite and only pretend to be good,' returned Annis, laughingly. "'But there, I hear Millie calling me.' And hastily laying aside her work, away she ran. "'I wonder if I ought to tell her,' Aunt Elsie said to herself, wiping away a tear. "'Oh, I don't want her to know, but I'm afraid it isn't right to let her think me so much better than I am.' Just then there was a gentle tap at the door. Leading into her board door, she rose quickly and opened it. 
Oh, Mr. Travilla, I am glad to see you, sir, she said, offering her hand. He took it and lifted it gallantly to his lips. Excuse me for coming in without invitation, my little friend, he said. I knocked at the other door, but no one seemed to hear, so I came on to this one. Please always feel free to do so, Mr. Travilla, she answered. I think you have almost as much right as Papa. Won't you take this easy chair? Thank you, my dear, he said, accepting the invitation. And now, if you will allow me another of your Papa's privileges, that of taking you on my knee, you will make me very happy. Am I not growing too large and heavy, sir? she asked. No, not at all. Mr. Travilla, I thought you would never think well of me again, never love me any more after you learned how very naughty I was one day a few weeks ago, she murmured, blushing and hanging her head. My dear little girl, he said, that did not lessen my good opinion of you. On the contrary, your sorrow for what seemed to me but a slight misdemeanor, and your frank confession of it raised you to in my esteem, if that were possible, for I have long thought you very nearly perfect. She shook her head, the blush deepening on her cheek. Ah, sir, you make me feel like a hypocrite, and Annis has been talking so too, and I— She hesitated a troubled, anxious look on her sweet, innocent face. What is it, dear child? he asked. Anything I can help you with? I was wondering if if I ought to tell Annis about my, my naughtiness that day. I am quite sure you are under no obligation to do so, he said, and perhaps it would be better not to tell her. Elsie looked relieved. Ah, he exclaimed, drawing something from his pocket. I am forgetting the particular errand on which I came. Here is a book that you will enjoy, I think, and with your father's approval, for I submitted it to him before bringing it to you. Elsie accepted the gift with warm thanks and looks of delight, which well repaid him for his thoughtful kindness. Annis came back presently, and after a little chat with her, Mr. Travilla left them to enjoy the book together. Mr. Dinsmore's prohibition had not been removed, and Elsie still felt it keenly, though, wow, carefully observing it, she said nothing on the subject to her papa or anyone else. One morning she and Annis came in from a walk about the ground, and while Annis went on into the house, Elsie lingered on the veranda, petting and playing with a favorite dog. Looking round at the sound of hoof horse hoofs on the drive, she saw Dr. Landreth just reining in his steed at the foot of the veranda steps. The day being quite cold, there was no servant just at hand, though usually several could be seen lounging near this, the principal entrance to the mansion. So he called to her, Elsie, my dear, I have ridden back from the gate to recover my notebook, which I think I must have left on the table in your father's study. Will you run and get it for me? Elsie felt her cheeks grow hot. What should she do? She was almost certain her father was not in the house. Must she explain to the doctor why she could not go into his study when he was not there? No, she would summon a servant to do the errand, though that would take longer than to do it herself, and the doctor seemed in haste, and would wonder and probably be vexed at her the delay. But it could not be helped. She dared not, would not disobey her father. All this passed through her mind in an instant. I will get it as quickly as I can, sir, she said, and hurried into the house. She rapped lightly on the study door, then opened it and peeped in. It was just possible her papa might be there. Yes, oh joy, there he was, sitting by the fire, reading the morning paper, and looking up from it. I am here. Come in, daughter, he said pleasantly. The doctor sent me for his notebook, papa, she said, glancing about in search of it. Yes, there it is on my writing desk. May I come back when I have given it to him, papa, she asked, as she took it up and turned to go. Yes, you may always come in when I am here. Your father loves to have you with him. There was a flash of joy in the beautiful eyes. 
looking into his, and the do doctor thought, as he took the notebook from her hand, that he had never seen a brighter, happier face. "'Many thanks, my dear,' he said, lifting his hat with a bow and smile, then turned his horse's head and galloped away. Elsie looked after him for a moment, then hastened back to her father. He greeted her entrance with a smile full of fatherly love and pride. "'Take off your hat and cloak,' he said, and ring for a servant to carry them away.' She did so, then came and stood close at his side. "'My papa, my own dear, dear papa,' she murmured lovingly. "'My precious little daughter,' he responded, laying down his paper and drawing her to his knee. "'I thought I saw a cloud on my darling's face as she peeked in at the door yonder a few moments since. "'What troubled you, dearest? Tell papa all about it. "'I was afraid you were not here, and so I couldn't come in to do the doctor's errand, "'and I didn't want to tell him, so—' I didn't want him to know why. It does seem, father, as if I'm in danger of having everybody find out about my naughtiness and—and and my punishment, she said, blushing and hanging her head, the troubled look again on her face. He did not answer immediately, but sat for some minutes silent, then said, My little girl, I think I may fully trust you now. I remove the prohibition and give you full permission to come in here when you will as freely as ever. "'Dear Papa, thank you, oh, thank you very much,' she cried joyfully, repaying him with the sweetest kiss and smile. "'Do you love me very much?' he asked. "'Oh, more than tongue can tell. I always did, always shall. I'm sure, sure I can never love anybody else half so dearly. Suppose I could, she could again become so cold, become as cold, stern, and severe to my little girl as I once was.' He said with a tremor of pain and remorse in his tones, and pressing her close to his heart as he spoke. "'I should love you still, Papa,' she answered. "'But, oh, don't ever be so. It would break my heart if you should quit and not let me sit here. "'Don't fear it, my precious one,' he said with emotion. "'Thank you for listening to another episode of Acresoft Story Classic.'